Welcome to the Faith Assembly Podcast. We're so glad that you joined us today. It is our desire at Faith to help you connect, grow, and go in your walk with God. We hope you're encouraged by this message from Pastor Steve. I trust that as you've heard these messages, they've been more for you than just a Sunday morning filler. And sometimes we can come in and we can do our routine and we can go through the motion and we hear the word, but we just kind of let it fall on deaf ears. We go out and it's just been something that's kind of filled up our time on Sunday morning, but it's not really transformed us or challenged us in any way. And I've got to admit to you this morning that these principles have been convicting for me as I've prepared these messages. Uh, really caused me to look in and just really assess myself and my own spirituality before the Lord. And my prayer for you today is that these messages have really challenged you, as they have me, to take a look at some of these fundamental issues of faith and, and see how we're scoring on those things and where we maybe need the Lord's help. So, so far in this series, we've been challenged in a number of ways, um, mostly with introspective issues where we look inside and uh, we look inside ourselves and we, we ask the questions, how do we view ourselves before a holy God? Uh, I mean, do we feel like we have some merit of our own? Do we feel like we have some uh, amount of self-righteousness? When Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, those who realize that before a holy God they're spiritually bankrupt. Um, and we look then, you know, how do we view our sin? Are we simply apologetic to the Lord uh, as part of the mechanical function of being saved? Or are we truly sorrowful that we have transgressed against God, that we have transgressed against his love and his goodness towards us? And then last week, we kind of took a look at how we view ourselves in relation to others. Can we maintain a right view of what God's doing in our lives when either the offenses or the judgments or the gifts of another person are on display for us? Can we control our emotions in such a way that we have a gentleness of spirit and that calm assurance that God can do whatever he wants with my life whether or not we ever prove ourselves to anyone else? And then this past week, we, we asked the question, are we spiritually hungry? Are we thirsty? Are we sincerely hungry for what God wants to do in our lives and the way that he wants to fill us? So this next particular facet of our spiritual life turns the lens a little bit from so much of an introspective look, and now we're going to begin looking at other people around us. We're going to begin asking some questions about how we feel about one another, not only in the body of Christ, but how we feel about others that we encounter in the world and how we feel about those that we cross paths with in our lives. And we're going to look at this, and I'm not sure about you, but I know that there have been times in my life when I have received great blessing. How many of you can identify with the great blessings that life affords that, that, that are brought in our lives. Can I tell you that among the greatest blessings I've ever received, however, some of the greatest blessings came in the form of me not getting what I deserved. I mean, there have been some wonderful things given to me, but some of the greater blessings are the things that were not given to me. Um, 
One day I was riding with the family in the car and uh, we were, we were kind of running behind and, and Hannah, our youngest daughter, was in the back seat and uh, she had forgotten something at a friend's house and we had to turn around and we had to go back. And uh, there's a day that lives in infamy in our house and it's called the day that daddy got a ticket. So I, I turn around and I'm heading back over this overpass and I realize at the top of the overpass that I'm going a little bit above the posted speed and what I didn't realize was at the bottom of the overpass there was setting a patrolman. And he followed me down to the next intersection when I made my turn. He graciously pulled in behind me with lights ablaze. And he walks to the window and I, you know, I said, Mr. Officer, sir, I was on my way to this place and my daughter here is in the back seat. We're getting ready to go take pictures for her prom, but she forgot this piece at her friend's house and we had to rush back. And I'm just so sorry, I didn't even, I didn't even realize. And in that moment, that man showed me mercy. Because he said, well, okay, but just watch yourself. So actually, there is no day that daddy got a ticket. And, and the reason that's such an infamous thing is because I'm a terrible backseat driver. I'm a, I'm a horrible co-pilot. I mean, I'm just like shouting orders and barking directions and telling people, speed up, slow down. You know, you got to give a signal sooner than that and all kinds of stuff. So it's really funny to everybody to think that I was pulled over by the law. So anyway, but I, I'm very grateful for the times that folks have extended kindness to me but I'm especially grateful for those who knew I was wrong and let me go anyway. And we hear the words of Jesus today in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 7 that says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. And when we speak about this subject of mercy, it's a very broad subject. Understand, I want, you to, I want you to understand the breadth of this subject and have the breadth of this subject in mind as we discuss these principles today. You see, the idea of mercy encapsulates for us not only the forgiveness of debt and transgression uh, of those who have done wrong, but it also is used to describe the compassion that's extended to those who are in need, and such as in the case of the Good Samaritan, whom the Bible says, that he was merciful to the man who was wounded and found beaten beside the highway. Now, as I prepared this message, I've got to tell you that this is one of the most difficult in this series of messages that I've had to prepare. And the reason is not because I've had a hard time finding material, but I've had a hard time limiting the amount of material that I've used in this message. Because if I were to include all that there is to be said on the subject of mercy in the scriptures, we'd have to do a multi-week series on this topic alone beginning with the amount of text that describes mercy as a main character attribute of God himself. You see, 
Over and over, especially in the Old Testament, as God begins to reveal himself to us through his word, we read the words that are translated from the Hebrew that tell us that God is merciful. God is merciful. Genesis 19 declares that God was merciful to Lot. Lot did wrong. We all know what Lot did, but God was merciful to him. Exodus 34, God reveals himself to Moses as being merciful. Deuteronomy chapter 4 and chapter 32 both tell us that God is a merciful God and that he will be merciful to his people. The psalmist says in Psalm 108, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in mercy. I want you to think about these things this morning as we hear Jesus say, blessed are the merciful If you want to be blessed, if you want to be happy in life, then you will be merciful. You will take on that character attribute of God, allow the Holy Spirit to work things out in your life until you are a merciful person. We continue here. David called out after his great sin with Bathsheba to the Lord, and he calls out to the Lord to forgive him, and he asks for forgiveness, quote, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. He said, God, according to your mercies, forgive me. I know you're a merciful God. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23 says this, through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed because his compassions fail not and they are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Aren't you thankful today for the faithfulness of God that even when we can't be good to Him, He's merciful and He's good to us? Amen. When God asked Jonah to go and preach to the Ninevites, his prejudice against those people was so great that he refused. And the reason that he says, he states that he refused is because he knew That if he was to go and preach a message of repentance to the Ninevites and that they were to receive that message that God, no matter how bad they had been, no matter how much wrong they had done, he knew that God was a merciful God and that he would save them. You can read that on the screen this morning, Jonah chapter 4 verse 2. Jonah said, God, I I couldn't go. The reason I turned aside is because I knew that you were a merciful God and that you would redeem them, you would save them. And these are just the highlights. I've got to tell you, I've probably got a page, two pages, maybe three pages of notes of scriptures from the Old Testament that describe the mercifulness of God and people calling out on the mercy of God. And certainly all of us have a testimony of God's mercifulness in our lives. How many of you have experienced the mercy of God in your life? How many of you, like me, have not only a testimony of God's mercy having worked in your lives, but you have an ongoing testimony of God's mercy in your life? Every day, somebody, I heard somebody over here say, every day we experience God's mercy new. Why? Because we're not perfect. We fail, we falter, we fall short of the mark of God's holiness and righteousness, but He is merciful to us. He never looks at me and says, I don't know who He thinks He is. I don't know what's wrong with Him. He must be some kind of stupid or something. I mean, He just... 
I can hear you in your car when people cut you off. It's a, it's a pastoral gifting. But I fail, I fall short, and, and rather than busting me every, for every little wrong, he chooses to restore me and extend his grace over my life again and again and again. And here Jesus is calling on us to exercise that kind of mercy and extend that kind of mercy to our fellow man. Not just in the body of Christ, but outside the body of Christ as well. When we lack mercy, we're not remembering God's mercy that has been shown to us. We're not behaving like God, and we're certainly not walking in God's wisdom for our lives. James says this, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven but it's earthly it's unspiritual and it's demonic James says in other words when we withhold mercy from our fellow man it is demonic have you thought about that as a matter of fact James here in the whole context of this the greater context of, of his letter here to the church he's actually speaking a lot about prejudice and how we view other people and he's saying listen if there's something in your heart that causes you ought with your fellow man and you're withholding mercy from them that's not from God that's demonic it's unspiritual for where you have envy and selfish ambition there you find disorder and every evil practice but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure and peace-loving and it's considerate submissive and full of mercy and good fruit it's impartial are they a believer? Yes. Are they not a believer? Yes. Doesn't matter? No. Are they Christians? Are they Muslim? Are they Hindu? Are they Buddhist? What are they? Doesn't matter. The mercy that we're to show to people is impartial. I don't have to agree with them. I don't have to subscribe to every philosophy to which they subscribe. I don't have to agree with their religion, but I do have to be merciful. I'm called by Jesus Christ, my Lord, to be merciful to them and sincere. What Jesus is offering here in this verse, Matthew 5, 7, is that as the nature of God is manifest in our lives wherein we extend mercy to others, we ourselves continue to find God's mercy for our own lives and we will be blessed because of it. Now, we understand that God is merciful and that we are to continually be yielding ourselves to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives to produce the fruit of godliness. But it's one thing to say that God is merciful and therefore as good Christians we should be merciful. It's another thing altogether when we consider what mercy is and what it would look like in our lives and then decide to yield ourselves not to the paradigm of godliness but to the practice of God-likeness in very specific ways. I want to say sometimes we just... We want to be, quote, godly. 
and we want to be God-like, but sometimes I don't think we actually stop and consider the different facets and the ways that God would like to manifest his character and his nature in our lives. And I think sometimes we need to move away from our infatuation with the paradigm of godliness and we need to focus on the practice of what it looks like to have God actually manifest some of these things in our lives. Does that make sense? See, with most things, the more we understand them, the easier it is and the more simple it is to make application and the easier it is to attain. Mercy, however, is one of those areas that the more we discover about it, the more difficult we may find it in our flesh to deploy through our lives. And the more we begin to understand and see our need of the word of the Lord and the work of the Holy Spirit to produce that godliness in our lives. Here, let's talk about what mercy is for just a minute. Webster defines mercy this way. And when it hurts, let me know. That benevolence, mildness, or tenderness of heart which disposes a person to overlook injuries or to treat an offender better than he deserves. The disposition that tempers justice and induces an injured person to forgive trespasses and injuries and to forbear punishment or inflict less than the law of justice will warrant. What? Are you kidding me, Jesus? Come on. Let's go back to the Old Testament where it says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Come on. And that, I mean, we, we love, what, we, what do we love to say? Justice was served. Oh, don't we, we love vindication, do we not? They had it coming. I'm glad I lived to see the day. <laughs> Mercy is an activity or an action, not a feeling, that we can apply only to the undeserving. We're not merciful to people just because they've been good to us. The whole idea of mercy is that somebody has transgressed, somebody has done wrong, somebody has infracted a law, somebody has cheated, somebody has stolen, somebody has lied, somebody has ridiculed. But we extend to them mercy. Were they guilty? Yes. As sin but we're still to extend mercy to them. If it was deserved, it wouldn't be mercy. If it was deserved, it would be merit. And I thank God today that I've not gotten what I merited. Because the word says that the wages of sin, in other words, what the sinfulness of my own life has merited me is death. It's death. That's, that's what I deserve. And I haven't done one thing to be able to rectify the situation myself. The only thing that I've done to make things better for me is to simply call on the name of Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, and rely on his goodness and his mercy for my life and receive his free gift of grace. That's all. 
That's all. I didn't deserve it. I was guilty. I did transgress. I I have done things, done nothing to merit the favor in my life. There's no promise or even potential that I might be able to repay that kindness. Yet God was merciful to me. And can I tell you, there's going to be some some people in your life that are going to fit this description. They are guilty. They did transgress against you. They have done nothing to merit your favor in their lives. There's no promise or even potential that they might be able to repay your kindness. But listen to how Nehemiah explains God to to the people who had sinned against him. Concerning the mercy of God, Nehemiah says, They refused to obey, and they were not mindful of your wonders that you did among them. In other words, God came and did wonders and miracles among these people, and they blew it off. They didn't pay any attention to it. He says, but they hardened their necks. And in rebellion, they appointed a leader to return to their bondage. But you are God, ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abundant in kindness, and you did not forsake them. You did not forsake them. Well, who's going to get them straight? I don't know. All I do know is that's not my job. It's not my job to straighten them out. It's my job to love them. It's not my job to straighten them out. It's my job to show them the mercy of God. Still with the same as as meekness, you know, being merciful to people doesn't mean that we necessarily position ourselves to have our backs filled up with knives either. Not suggesting to you today that you make yourself anybody's doormat. That's not what all this is about. There may be some times in your life where the most merciful thing you can do for somebody is put some distance between you and them. But you don't hold it against them. You don't bear the grudge. You don't pray for vindication. I don't know about you, but I, for one, am thankful for mercy. Aren't you glad that that God doesn't just zap you as soon as you do something wrong? Aren't you glad that, that you didn't get what you deserved as soon as you deserved it, but rather God was merciful towards you, not giving you what you had earned for yourself? Here's the dynamic facet, and that's this. We don't do anything to earn God's favor in our lives in any capacity, be it mercy or grace or whatever, you know, blessing and, and all of that that comes with serving Him. We get it. And there's, there's nothing that we can do to earn it. But there are things that we can do to restrict its flow into our lives. Because God will only withhold mercy from us to the extent that we withhold it from other people. If you want to go ahead, turn in your Bible to Matthew 18. We're going to take a look at one of Jesus' parables to illustrate this point. And as I said, while you're turning there, I want to clarify that we don't do anything to earn God's mercy, but we can do things to inhibit its flow in our lives. Somebody said, I've I've got a quote here, and I don't know who the author of this quote was, but it's very good. It says, it is a small thing to a man whether or not his neighbor be merciful unto him, 
but it is life or death to him whether or not he is merciful to his neighbor. Because James 2.13 says this, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Oh, Lord, God, I just thought I could manifest that fallen nature in my life and, you know, I could just stand before you in heaven and say, well, God, this is just how I am and this is just who I am and, you know, I need you to fix it. No, God wants to fix it in you now. He wants you to bear the fruit of godliness now. He wants you to manifest the fruit of godliness to your cantankerous neighbors, to that, to that hard-headed co-worker. Some folks identified too close with that. I hate glory. All right. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful, but mercy triumphs over judgment. I love that. Oh my goodness, I love that. So Matthew 18, back there. Peter wanted to know how much mercy he was supposed to show to somebody who had done him wrong. And you remember Jesus' reply to that. 70 times 7, which is, you know, just the beginning of things. But this is the way Jesus illustrated to Peter. He illustrated this, this point to Peter with the parable of the unforgiving servant. This is a man, Jesus tells a story about a man who owed his master an extraordinary amount of money. And, you know, we may, our, when I say extraordinary amount of money, our minds may go to a certain figure. I mean, you may be thinking six, seven figures, something like that. When I say extraordinary amount, I mean he owed his master an amount of money that were, was multiples of his lifetime earning potential. In other words, there was no way under the sun if this guy lived several lifetimes that he'd even be able to earn enough to pay his master back. And the master called, for, called him in to settle this debt and he was unable to satisfy the debt that he owed and he began to beg his master to be merciful to him and his master granted him that mercy and said, it's forgiven, free to go. So how did the servant understand? How many of you can identify with that servant? We owed a debt we could not pay. And how does this servant respond? We pick it up here in verse 28 and it says this, but then when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins, which in the grand scheme of things is peanuts. Okay? And he grabbed him and he began to choke him, saying, pay back what you owe me, he demanded. And his fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. I mean, this guy, all he needed was a payday loan. He just needed to wait until the next time the check come in and he could have easily paid his fellow servant back. But this same guy that had been forgiven so much, the word says he refused and he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. So some others saw this treatment, his treatment of this man. They reported back to the master how this fellow had treated his fellow man. And needless to say, the master was none too pleased about it and he called this guy back in. And here's the result we read in verse 32. The master called the servant in and said, You wicked servant. 
I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I have had it on you? And in anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. And listen, listen. These are the words of Jesus. In your Bible, they should be read. And he says this, quote, Matthew quotes Jesus here. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. If you're not merciful, you will receive, you will continue to receive and be the recipient of God's mercy to the extent that you give the mercy you've been shown to other people around you. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 17 says this, The merciful man does good for his own soul, but he who is cruel troubles his own flesh. Now I want to help you with a little application here. Because I believe I'm a student of human nature, and I know my own tendencies, and I am transparent enough to share them with you. But when it comes to the issue of mercy and how we show it to others, it seems that we want to add extras into that equation that we never find in the Word. In other words, we expect mercy to be withheld and justice to be dispensed at a far greater rate when we are not the offenders. I I want to say that again. We expect mercy to be withheld and justice to be dispensed at a far greater rate when we're not the offenders. It's, it's as old as humanity, it really is. We could look at the life of David. We mentioned earlier about David calling out to God and, and according to his mercy. Let me give you a little bit of backstory to that this morning. You all know the story of how David fell into adultery with Bathsheba. What you probably may not remember is how it came to be that David's on the floor before God sobbing and asking for forgiveness. Is because a prophet by the name of Nathan came to his house and knocked on his door. And he's talking to the most powerful man in the world at that time. And he said, David, there was a poor man and he only had one little ewe lamb. And there was a rich man And the rich man came and he had plenty of livestock and all of this stuff. And he came and he stole the one poor man's one little ewe lamb and he slaughtered it and he fed his guests with it. What do you think ought to be done to that man? Mm. The righteous indignation just came all over David. And he began to pronounce what should be done to that man. I mean, he ought to be strung up. He ought to be, you know, anything you can think. This is terrible. This is an atrocity. He ought to be able to get away with this. Until Nathan the prophet looked at him and said, David, you are that man. Fast forward just a little bit. We find David on his face before God. Saying, God, according to your mercy, 
forgive me. You see, it's, it's different now that I know it's me. It was something else when I thought it was some other scoundrel, but now that it's me, I want things handled a little differently. You see, this whole idea of mercy is a great place to employ the golden rule. You remember that? Whatever you would that men would do to you, do also unto them. If I want Corey to be merciful to me, then because sooner or later I'm going to mess up. If, if Corey and I remain in relationship long enough, I'm going to fail him. He shook his head no, but that's not true. Sooner or later, I'm going to do something that is an offense to him. I can't help it. I'm not perfect. And sometime, somewhere along the way, maybe, he might irritate me. I can't imagine that happening. But if I anticipate that in the moments that I have failed him, then in the moments that he has irritated me, I need to extend to him mercy. I need to be willing to look at my brother and say, well, he's not perfect. I knew that to start with. See, part of our problem with extending the mercy to people is this. We rely too much on other people to start with. We're too reliant on other people when we should be more reliant on God. And then when they do fail, when they do let us down, it's a harder pill to swallow. But I've got to understand all through life's way that my brother and my sister in Christ aren't perfect, I'm not perfect, and I can greatly use that excuse for myself and very readily dispense it while I'm not perfect, but I've got to always remember that neither are they and what I expect and anticipate for them to do to me in times when I'm wrong is what I need to do to them in times when they're wrong or I feel that they're wrong that's a whole nother lesson sometimes they're not as wrong as we think they are we try to add stipulations to exactly whom we're expected to show mercy Jesus was approached by the teachers of the day and said, great teacher, tell us what is, the, what is the greatest law? And he said, it is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and being, strength. And he quickly added to that, and there's a second one, to love your neighbor as yourself. then that elicited the response well who's my neighbor and you remember Jesus replying to that with the parable of the good Samaritan and he asked that man he said who was a neighbor to that man that was found beating, beaten bleeding and dying on the roadside that person that was down and out that person who was broken busted that person who had no hope and no 
promise of a potential in order to pay him back. Who was a neighbor to that man? It wasn't the religious guys. It wasn't the people that walked around all high and mighty and looked down their nose at everybody else and said, wow, if he'd have been doing the right things, he wouldn't have ended up that way. If, if he loved God the way that I love God, he wouldn't be in a ditch right now. I want to tell you something today, church. I've had some of the same stuff pushed in front of my face that some of my friends have. And for some reason, by the grace and the mercy of God, I was able to turn it away. And they're in the graveyard because their choices in life killed them. There but by the grace of God go I. And when you're looking at people and they're unruly, imperfect and undone, you don't know how they got there. You don't know what's in their lives that have driven them to do some of the things that they've done, the hurt, the despair, and the anguish. We don't know that and it's not our job even to figure it out it's our job to stop alongside the wounded and the beaten and the broken of this world pour in the oil of God's goodness and show mercy show kindness to them Yeah, even the person across the aisle from you. They're going to come in this house sometime. You're going to see them at a fellowship or a function or something. And their brokenness is just going to fall out all over the place. And the adversary is going to come and try to have you take offense to that. and withhold forgiveness and hang on to a grudge and nurse a hurt. But that's not what God desires. Jesus said, blessed are the merciful. They shall receive mercy. Listen, what I'm expecting God to pour into my life, I need to be ready to pour into other people. I appreciate Richard and Carol. One of their ministries here in the church, the great, one of the great ministries here at this church is that every month a group of people get together and they take food to a homeless shelter. And they love on people. People that in our minds we maybe pass the traffic medians and see them standing there with their little signs begging and we just wonder why they don't just go get a job I don't know why they don't just go get a job I guess maybe they'll figure that out sometime but in the present state my call is to show them mercy to be compassionate towards them and we, we applaud you brother for that ministry yeah. And there's so many other ways that that same principle 
applies itself here in the life of this body. And I appreciate all of you that are so merciful. Let me invite you to stand all over this congregation today. Man, I want to say thank you for your faithfulness to the house of the Lord today. I mean, you are at church today. Y'all know Thursday, July 4th, right? But you're hungry for the word. You're hungry for the interaction with the Holy Spirit. For God to move in your life and do something powerful. God will bless your faithfulness. Amen? God, help us to be a merciful people. God, help us when we are transgressed against, somebody says something about us, somebody crosses us the wrong way, rubs us in a way that's not comfortable. God, help us to be a merciful people. To be able to extend mercy. Say, you know what? This is what I would have God to do for me. This is how I would like God to deal with me. Not blast me for my shortcoming. Not call 15 of his closest friends and tell them about my problem. But just cover it in mercy. Father, we live in a broken world. And we dwell in the midst of a broken people. Even in the body of Christ. And the brokenness of my brother and my sister shows itself. My brokenness shows itself. Lord, my temper is not always in check as it needs be. God, I can be quick with a cutting word. God, I can be quick to criticize. God, help me to be merciful. Because your word says, blessed are the merciful. For they will obtain mercy. We're going to have that continual flow as we continually give it out and pour it out. We're going to have it continually return back to us again. Father, help us. We hope you enjoyed this inspirational message today. If you would like more information about Faith Assembly, please visit us on the web at faith-assembly.org. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you have a blessed day.